0: What am I saying? Uh, hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macab.
1: On all things macabre we discuss all the things under the topic of odd weird true crime supernatural and fiction
0: this podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners so listener discretion is advised if you find a topic we are discussing interesting we encourage you to do some research on your own you never know what you may learn We're just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. And hoping that you'll enjoy and laugh along with us. Through some stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, what the fuck?
1: And now, for the fun part.
0: Hey, Macabre Mob, it's Shelby. And Courtney. And today, we are going to be continuing with part two of Things You May Not Have Realized About Black History. I don't think I really have anything to
1: say, because I think we agreed that we're just going to go straight into it today. So I'm not going to drag this out much longer, (laughs) (laughs) because I'm also just anxious to hear how or what you found and, you know, discuss it. So I'm going to shut up so you can take it away.
0: So in part one, if you haven't listened, you can always go back and check it out. Uh, We discussed kind of how slavery was an issue in the United States, the American Revolution, how it played a part in the Civil War, and all about the emancipation after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So I told y'all last week I was going to leave off around 1921 when Mammy was born, Emmett Till's mother. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So Mammy was born in Mississippi in 1921 as Mammy Carthen. Her family moved to the outskirts of Chicago when she was only about two years old. Why do you think they would have moved around that time? You said 1921? Around this time would be about 1923, oh, so yeah, early sorry. 20s. I forgot
1: she's two years old around this time. Okay, so she was born 1921. I'm going to say something related to segregation. i just taking a shot in the dark there.
0: In a part, Have you ever heard of the Great Migration? No, I have not. Well, many black people were leaving the South to move north and west or to a more urban South for better paying jobs, more economic stability, and to try to escape the violence of the South, such as lynching and, you know, the KKK was around and all that shit. That is very understandable. This was known as the Great Migration. It began around 1915 and continued with the first wave until about 1940, and then a second wave happened from 1940 through the 1970s.
1: So somewhat actually recent. I mean, I mean, guess the 1970s isn't recent, but... It's only about I mean, 50 years ago. When I think about this, you know, this is probably going to show how naive I am. When I think about it, I don't think
0: of it as being as recent as the 70s. You That's know? exactly why I want to bring this into it. Like I said last episode, it's not as history as we think history is. It's a lot more recent.
1: Because I really think of it as like 1920s or you know 30s max. But when you say the 70s, I'm like, oh, okay.
0: It I wasn't still, that. still going on. So when slaves were freed, the South was trying to figure out how to get people to plant and take care of the crops on their land. So. Landowners were offering cabins for people to stay in during the season. Seeds, tools, animals, everything they needed to take care of the crop. But they got it all on credit from the landowner. Have you ever heard of this? So they were able to stay on the land. And take care of the land. And take care
1: of the land. And they were given credit. I'm so I'm assuming that means allowed to stay there. They were they allowed worked? to
0: stay there and work the land, but at the end of the grow season, the landowner would actually expect a certain yield that decided if they paid their debt for the seeds and their okay stay and such. Okay, I understand where this is going now. Okay, have you yes. ever heard of that? No, I haven't. that's called sharecropping.
1: Sharecropping.
0: Okay. So a lot of times. No matter what was handed to the landowners at the end of the season seemed like it was never enough. It was never what they expected, so they would the workers would always end up in debt to the landowners. Go figure this would force people to continue working on the farm for the next season to attempt to work off their debt, and it was nearly impossible to ever pay off with the interest accruing and the unpredictable growth seasons. There's a lot of factors that played into it. There's also the bull weevil was hitting cotton crops, I believe, at that time. I was thinking the
1: second that you talked about them automatically going into debt, that was the first thing that went to my mind was now, I'm sure, because they have them in that situation, they're going to continue to be like, well, now I'm going to add this to your plate and this to your plate to maintain them being there. You know, because it's kind of like, I technically am not allowed to have you as my slave, but I can do this, and this is technically my way of still having you work with me or work for me without it being labeled as air quotations here slavery.
0: Exactly, and there were actually even laws in place that would prevent the workers from leaving the land if they were in debt. So, that's exactly what you're saying they they could actually even be put in jail over their debts. So they what? they had to work off their debt or they were going to be jailed. That uh, this it's so it's up. just a another way to pull slavery out basically. World War One also had a hand in helping in the Great Migration because of the need for workers in factories such as the auto, the meatpacking, steel, and iron industries. Work was getting a little harder to come by and cheaper wages were being paid in the South with the whole idea of sharecropping. And so the average black worker was only averaging about 75 cents per day, where in the North the average black worker could earn about $5 a day.
1: 75 cents for the South a day and five dollars a day in the north that's complete. that's that's ridiculous I it mean, is but amazing and how big of a difference that is and the way that they're able to get away with it just because or uh, them as in the south they're able to get away with it because they're trying to use the excuse of sharecropping right you know so it's like i'm putting all this forward so therefore i'm providing all this for you so you just get this little sprinkle of stuff it's a little manipulative tactic that they're doing so i don't blame black individuals
0: for wanting to go to the north because hell if i was in that situation i would too yeah well chicago was actually considered the promised land it had a lot of stories with jobs with good wages homes with running water and basic freedoms that were denied in the south so you remember the jim crow laws Mm -hmm. and segregation like, people were often forced to live in dilapidated houses and often without running water and not getting opportunities for jobs, education, or really freedom in general.
1: So to hear that a place called Chicago to them, you know, I'm sure they're, which I mean, in the South Chicago, is still a ways away no matter where it's, you are in the city. It's a pretty good way. But, you know, to hear that if I travel this way, I'll have running water and actual housing and I can get paid $5 a day.
0: Yeah. Like, hell yeah. It's, it's a big difference. In 1916, the Chicago Defender, which was the leading black newspaper in the city at the time, it started publishing stories about Southerners that made it in the city.
1: Made it as in air quotations,
0: like they made it to there and they were successful, Yes. Right? They also printed lists of churches and other organizations for people to contact for help with travel, housing, and jobs. They routinely printed rules of conduct to help new arrivals adjust and avoid conflict. Some of the things that they would suggest would be don't allow yourself to be drawn into street brawls and don't use liberty to do what you please. It's pretty much just telling them, you know, don't draw any unnecessary attention to themselves. I mean, they're pretty simple rules, especially coming from what you come from in the South.
1: Just mind your business and keep your head down.
0: Yeah. As more black people started to leave the South, the South started to get nervous about their loss of their, quote, labor force.
1: I love Love isn't very sarcastic, but I love the term of labor
0: force. That's the only way I could think of putting it.
1: I I mean, it's a great way to explain it, but I just, you know, I want to reiterate that that was purely sarcastic yeah. sarcasm because I know when you were researching this yesterday, Tina had mentioned the black individuals began to leave that more white people started freaking out. Yeah, because they were like, "Well, now we got to fucking work. We got to do all these things." Yes, yeah, exactly. It,
0: because it was actually it was the majority of the South's economic infrastructure. Some of the employers actually even started paying higher wages to keep black people there to do the work. It's I mean it wasn't like five dollars a day, but so let's say I'm gonna say like
1: eighty five cents. Yeah, you
0: know, probably. Oh, <laughs>
1: because you're lazy and you don't want to do it yourself, so you're Yeah,
0: that's you know. that's what I assume. That's actually what I've got in my notes was white southerners I guess got scared of having to actually do work. That's exactly <laughs> what you were saying. So they actually started trying to persuade the newspapers to print stories to scare black people from moving to the north. Really? Yeah. And they even started blocking trains and buses that were full of people to go to the north and west and just out of the south. And they wouldn't allow them to leave. They would even beat people for attempting to leave.
1: But they're not under any legal obligation to stay here so they can go wherever the hell they please.
0: Exactly. But, I mean, here they are. They think they can beat them if they stay, beat them if they try to leave. I mean... It's
1: like being in an abusive relationship. Sorry, i not it's sorry. Awful. But, you know, it is awful, yeah. Uh, the manipulative factors that are playing into this and the things that we never were told as kids or growing up, you know, going to school or, and even when I was in college, I didn't get this far in detail. I didn't so, know a lot of I this. I mean, I appreciate for you doing that and giving me and I, you know, opening experience with this. I just,
0: I'm flabbergasted. Sorry, continue, I'll shut up. (laughs) No, you're fine. We're actually jumping back into Mammy's story here. Okay. So, Mammy grew up with a mother, Alma, and she said that she was a good teacher, once even making her stay up until 3 a.m., drilling her on multiplication tables just to have to get up the next morning to be at school by 8 a.m. She was a good nurturer, making sure just about everybody in the neighborhood was fed, And she was a firm disciplinarian with a strong Mississippi-bred church value.
1: So she was a great homemaker, but used, you know, good morals and tried to raise her children adequately or make sure that the neighborhood kids were taken care of, I'm assuming. Yeah. And poor Mamie felt like she was going through it and having to wake up or stay up until 3 (laughs) o'clock in the morning. But she wanted
0: her to have the best. She wanted her to be the best.
1: I I respect that, though. I really do. I'm not mad at it.
0: The only thing that she really wasn't good at was talking about some things that she needed to know in life. Such as what? Well, when she was six, her mother told her, If you go around here kissing boys, you'll come up in a family way. Later that year, a boy kissed her at a birthday party on the mouth, and she slapped him and ran away. She just knew she was pregnant. Oh, no. So, when her mom came home, she was actually gagging herself in the bathroom with a toothbrush. And her mom was just like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, you know, she told her she was pregnant. Oh,
1: my God.
0: She told her she was pregnant, and then her mom simply dismissed it and walked off. So, later, she told her she wasn't pregnant, but it was whenever Mamie just couldn't take it anymore. Like, she thought she was pregnant. So she, and, and that's all she said, was that she wasn't pregnant. She didn't explain it. She
1: didn't explain what you needed. She didn't have the talk with her, necessarily. Of, no. This is what you have to
0: do in order to be pregnant. Kissing somebody is not going to make you yeah, pregnant. Yes. So, she she really was naive in a lot of ways. Okay. Most black girls dropped out of school by the age of 16 in that area to get married. In fact, she was considered an old maid because she had waited until she finished high school to get married. She was 18. 18 and considered (laughs) an old maid? Yeah.
1: I'm 31, and I'm, you know, well, I'm divorced, but, you know, still, I'm single. I can only think of what they would think
0: of me. Oh, there's no telling. <laughs> so, she married Louis Till, who worked at the Corn Products Refining Company in Argo, Illinois, and that's where they lived, just outside of Chicago. Okay. She assumes that she got pregnant the first time they ever had sex, which was after they got married. Okay. But it was common in the area for men to go make money while the women were, of course, to stay home and take care of the house. Be barefoot and pregnant. Yeah, so when she needed to go to the hospital and she was about ready to give birth, her mom took her. Not Lewis. Lewis didn't have any part of it, really. She was taken to Cook County Hospital, which was a public hospital, so they would treat black people, but that didn't mean that they would treat them well. I see where this is going. Mammy was put into a room with another lady who was screaming and cursing, and she tried to comfort her after everyone left. She kind of got to know her a little bit, kind of. She frightened Mammy, because she just didn't understand why this woman wanted to kill that man. And she would tell Mammy that she would soon find out why. So obviously this lady was pregnant and going through some pain, and it scared the hell out of Mammy. Okay,
1: I was confused for a minute. I'm following now. So she means that man is in the person yeah. that got her pregnant. Okay. And oh, I'm no- Oh, I'm so slow for this one. I'm slowly catching up to what you're meaning.
0: I actually don't have it in here, but in the book I was reading, she understood whenever she was trying to give birth.
1: <laughs> That's, where I was fall- That's why I said I'm slowly starting to react to what is happening that Mamie is
0: about to really understand. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> So, her mother had been the one to come check on her over the next couple days. The nurses paid very little attention to her, and, of course, like I said, Lewis never visited. So, on Friday, July 25th, 1941, when her mom came to visit, she realized that Mammy's water broke, and she made the nurses take her into the labor room. Do you know how long she was waiting? Well, I know that whenever I'd read a little bit into this... Her water had broke, and the nurses did come in at some point, And I think she had asked for some water or something. She thought she had peed the be- peed herself or something, oh, okay. so she just kind of covered it up because she didn't want to bother them. But oh. man, or Alma kind of explained what was going on. She's like, "Child, your woman bro- or your water broke. Like you're about to have this a baby. baby's coming." Yeah. So whenever she got back into the labor room, she learned that the baby was breached, oh, which no. you know is coming out butt first. Yes. And the doctor said in a very accusatory way, like, what have you been doing? Making her believe that whatever was happening to her baby was all her fault. That's not fair. Excuse me? That- <sighs> Yeah. She thought that maybe it could have been where she and Lewis had moved into a new place before that, or about the move from her mother's house to a little apartment down the street. She was hanging curtains and cleaning cobwebs from high up on the windows. Mm-hmm. Someone walked by when she was doing that and told her she shouldn't be reaching over her head like that in her condition because she was pregnant. She didn't know any of that stuff. So she blamed herself for On her baby, baby being breached. Oh,
1: that's pitiful.
0: Yeah, they actually ended up putting her to sleep to deliver the baby. So when she woke up, she asked to see her baby and they told her she was really sick and they didn't really want to bring, her to, bring him to her yet. He was about six and three quarter pounds, and she said that she insisted on seeing him, but whenever they brought him in, she frowned and said, oh no, before even thinking about it, because his skin was actually very, very light, and he had blonde hair and blue eyes. But he actually also had scars on his forehead and nose from the forceps they were using during the difficult birth.
2: Oh no. It left his
0: face looking distorted. So, he began to cry and she pulled him closer and rocked him, always remembering and she always regretted how she reacted the first time that she saw him. Like, she felt like she made him cry. So, his whole entire-
1: her her pregnancy and leading up to his birth was very traumatic for her because she didn't know much of anything to begin with. And then the entire process of giving birth to him- you know, from being breached and the doctor saying, well, what have you done? You know, and yeah. she's blaming herself. And That's she had actually traumatic.
0: never gone to the doctor before she, so she went for the labor. Check- oh, oh my. So she never had checkups. She didn't know about prenatal care and all that. I also had to think about what time, it. you know. Yeah, this is back in the 40s. Goodness gracious. So, she didn't know what to name her baby. Her husband obviously had no input on a name. He just kind of brushed it off weeks earlier. And she ended up naming him after her favorite uncle, Emmett, and her husband, Louis. Okay. So now, Emmett Louis Till has been born. Emmett had a lot of complications for the first few weeks of his life. Doctors told Mammy that he would probably be disabled for life. And she should probably institutionalize him. Oh my goodness. She wouldn't accept that. She spent the first month back and forth to the hospital so much that she didn't even get to settle at home. His light skin, his hair color, his eye color made a lot of people start gossiping in the neighborhood. They thought that maybe he had a white father. Oh. So, of course, these rumors are just going around. It's getting ridiculous. Most people bet on the milkman, who was a white man, because he had been so nice to her, even giving her a bottle of chocolate milk every now and then.
1: Of course, it's the milk man. I,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't give someone some chocolate milk. I love chocolate milk. So some people also thought it was the ice man, because sometimes he'd give her a little chunk of ice when it was hot outside. Well, my question is, why aren't these people minding their own damn business and letting her just well, do what she needs to do? No one ever minds their own business. She even actually had to convince her own mom that Louis was the only man she had ever slept with. Are you serious? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you ready for what happened? Yes. The light features that he had was actually because the umbilical cord wrapping around him during the birth at the top of the breach. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So the color actually started to come back, causing him to look a lot more like his father and giving Mammy relief that he seemed to be okay after all the trouble they had gone through.
1: I'm glad she finally found some type of relief from this. But fast-forwarding a little bit to kind of like how his story ends, he as an Emmett, well, I mean, including Mammy in this too, ever since she became pregnant, her and Emmett have went through this turmoil, and even leading to his death, you know, he's had, bless his heart, just, you know, constant
0: trials, you know, that he had to go through. Every step of his life. And you'll see it gets worse. I, I'm sure. I didn't know a lot of this. So before Emmett was even born, a young family friend would bring mammy things all the time, announcing that they were for little Bobo. Bobo. And the, the name just stuck. So after he was born, he was most commonly in the area known as Bobo. That's cute. So you'll actually hear me throughout here sometimes call him Emmett and sometimes I'm call Bobo. him Bo or okay. Bobo. Okay. She pampered him and bathed him constantly. It actually caused his cheeks to get real rosy because she didn't know until her mom told her that Castile soap was actually too harsh for him.
1: She was just trying to take care of him. Yeah.
0: It made her feel so awful. She doesn't know any better. No. She completely thought he was a miracle baby for being there. Not being institutionalized, her not knowing proper prenatal care, like we said, and like I told you, her never being in the hospital before for a checkup or anything. Mm-hmm. She wasn't able to work. Well, I guess she was able to work, but she wasn't working at the time. Mm-hmm. And Lewis had his own problems with money, so they couldn't even afford a bassinet. Mm-hmm. Emmett actually slept in a dresser drawer in their room. Wow. So, Lewis was a big strapping amateur boxer that always looked like he was all business. He loved to gamble all the time on the way home, often causing them to get home late after drinking with no money. Okay, because I was beginning to
1: question where the fuck's Lewis and why is he not trying to help take care of his child, but okay, yeah, now you're explaining.
0: So, he would often come home ready to blame her, and she kind of learned this pattern pretty quickly. So one day he came in and started a fight about some greens her mother had made her. He really had a thing about their close relationship. He hated it. Oh, yeah, of course. Emmett was actually spending this current time with Alma, so he wasn't there.
1: Okay, well, that's good for... And Mammy
0: actually had a friend over, and he told Mammy not to put the greens in her mouth. And her friend actually was like, all right, this is my cue. I'm going to go ahead and get up and leave. So she left. She paid him no attention and she started to eat. So he punched her and choked her until she topped up the greens. Then he kept squeezing harder until she blacked out. Excuse me? Crazy. It's crazy. When she regained consciousness, no one was around and she decided that she had to act quickly before he came back. So she took a fireplace poker and put it over on the wood stove and heated it up real good. Then she filled a pot with water, and she put it on the stove to boil. Then she cut the lights out, and she just waited.
1: Okay, I'm interested to see where this is going.
0: So while she was waiting, of course, she's sitting there thinking about the relationship with the man she had married. Mm -hmm. And she had married him just about a year before.
1: Oh, so this is early.
0: Yeah, and she started thinking about their first date. At the time, they went to Berg's drugstore, and he asked her if she wanted a banana split. She was actually insulted and asked if she wasn't good enough for a whole banana for herself. (laughs) That's cute and innocent, right? That's cute. Louis just, like, shook his head and took her in there anyway, and she was just amazed by how big this dessert was. Like, three scoops of ice cream, the banana, the syrup, the whipped cream, everything. She she was even more surprised whenever he told the clerk that they were going to eat there to not worry about packaging them to go. Now you gotta remember, this is still segregated yeah, in the north. Yes. that's. I
1: mean, that's why I gave you that look, which, of course, you know, they everybody can't see. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's really bold, but it I, is I respect really bold. it.
0: Okay. So they went and sat in a booth near the window. And she was so nervous, she could hardly even enjoy her banana That's split. That's so
1: unfortunate.
0: As she was about to take a bite, Mr. Berg, the owner, rushed out, really upset, shouting, Mammy, you know better than this. I'm gonna tell Alma. And Lewis just stood up super slowly and intimidated him. I mean, this dude was 5'11", and, I mean, he was an amateur boxer. He had a pretty big stature, you know? hmm Mr. Berg backed off without him ever saying a word, then calmly sat back down, And he just asked if she liked the banana split. (laughs) Mammy was so worried about how she was going to explain it to her mom that she didn't even really notice the other black people on the street that were passing and then they were coming back because they were so shocked to see See a a black black couple couple sitting in the window at that restaurant that they know they weren't supposed to be sitting in. So to her surprise, they started actually coming in and ordering stuff and sitting in other booths, and from that day on, she really admired Lewis and looked up to him because they were known as the ones that ended segregation in this little drugstore. Wow. Oh. Going back, she thought about her first date. Lewis comes in, and he's calling Mammy. Mammy sounded real sweet and pitiful and sincere. She decided she wasn't going to fall for it she grabbed the boiling pot of water and she threw it at him and all she heard was him ha- having this blood curdling scream and run out of the apartment so she grabbed the poker just in case he came back next thing she knew her mother called because he had ran down the street to her house and she actually had to peel his shirt off of his bag oh. pulling pieces of his skin off oh. in the process no 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 so Mammy explained to her what had happened, and her mom actually called the police, because she was like, you know what, I'm going to have your back this time, you're not going to be choked out and all that, so yeah, I, we got this. So the police didn't arrest him. They were like, you know what, I think this guy's been punished enough. <laughs> I mean, I get that, but Yeah. still,
1: I also think that they should have done something. But okay. they, Yeah,
0: well, she did get a restraining order against him. But he kept violating the order, confronting her in the street and arguing about getting back together.
1: That's what I was about to say. Uh, to me, personal opinion of whatever, you know, restraining orders to me just, they're useless.
0: Yeah, it's just a piece of paper. Uh, when they had to go back to court, the judge decided to give Lewis a choice of either going to jail or joining the army. And, well, he was in basic training in no time. <laughs> Months later, around Thanksgiving, he showed up at her doorstep, and they spent time together with Emmett, finally seeming to bond with him. They talked about reconciling, but she wasn't sure about it, and before she could put too much thought into it, there was a knock on the door from the military police saying that Lewis had gone AWOL.
1: Oh my god.
0: So, he ended up getting thrown in the stockade, and then he got shipped out. Okay. (laughs) I was not expecting (laughs) that, but okay. Okay. Mammy started receiving about $400 a month from Lewis in regular payments, but in 1945, the money just stopped coming. Two weeks before Emmett's fourth birthday, Mammy received a telegram that Lewis was killed in Italy and the Army returned a few personal belongings of his to her. Oh my. And one of these belongings included a ring that Lewis bought in Casablanca with the engraving of his initials, LT, Lewis Till and the date May 25th, 1943 on it. She knew that he hadn't been a good husband, but he had been a good father to Emmett. That's how she saw it.
2: Okay.
0: Alright, so let's jump to Emmett for a second. He took his first steps at about 11 months old.
2: Okay.
0: Not only that, but when she got home one night after work, she was spelled out that Alma had made some J-E-L-L-O, and suddenly he said Jello. Surprised that not only he could talk, but that he could spell, he grew his vocabulary pretty quickly and started learning all kinds of things. Starting with his ABCs from his mamu, Ash-
1: mamu, yeah,
0: that was Alma. That's what he called That's her. That's cute. <laughs> she wanted to make sure that he could count and spell long before he started school. And also, by the time he was two, his facial scarring had disappeared, and his legs had gotten a lot stronger. That's great. So the problems that he suffered during his birth seemed to be a thing of the past, and
1: that's another thing, really, because I just realized, like you said, eleven months is whenever he started to to start talking. Mm-hmm. At eleven months, and to, is this was uh, walking.
0: Uh, so he was reading, talking, walking around eleven months is what you're telling me. He was spelling, t- spelling, talking. maybe spelling. And one of the things about it is, Mammy thinks that J E L L O sounds kind of like Jello. Yeah. So, she's not 100% sure if he caught the spelling or if he Still, just it's figured it out, but that's smart.
1: But, I mean, for him to go through all of what he did when he was yeah. born, you know, you would think that there would be some type of delay. But he, that shows goes to prove that, you know, you continue to work with somebody. Yes. It will go to...
0: It, you it just keep, keep trying.
1: Pays off. Wow. Sorry, I'm <laughs> interrupting again.
0: <laughs> no. By the time Emmett was three... He was always either in front of the house or in the enclosed yard they had, and it seemed to be pretty much a meeting place for the whole neighborhood. Everyone loved hanging out with Bo and playing with him. That's cute. Plus, he had a lot of toys to play with. I mean, he was a little spoiled after he started getting money, (laughs) and you know, from his dad back in the time, and then Mamu was taking care of him too. Mammy, all of them. So by 1947. Her cousins, Hallie and Willer Parker, were ready to move up north from Mississippi with their three kids. Bo had actually become friends with all three of the kids, but he really developed a special relationship with Willer Jr. He was about seven at the time, about two years older than Emmett. They were always close and would sometimes get into stuff, such as jumping off the back porch with a high railing, even though Mammy would tell them to stop. And he'd be like, oh, no, it's all right, ma, look, and then do it again. Thrill like, seeker. <laughs> yeah. Sometime during the summer after he turned six, he really seemed to deflate by the time he would have to come inside. And that was really odd because he always seemed to have unlimited energy. A couple of days later, she realized that he would be active all day long and then just fall into this slump at night. And then his temperature would start to soar at night, too. Oh, no. So, at first, they tried some home remedies, but they didn't see any improvement. In fact, he was starting to get worse. So, they decided to call the doctor, and they found out that he had polio. Oh, no. Like I said, it, it gets worse. There's more. <laughs> at that time, polio was pretty much just as bad as the death sentence. It wouldn't necessarily kill you, but it would take away your ability to be able to do anything to yes. live. It takes away your motor abilities. He was taken to the hospital by a police squad car. Why a a police squad car? They actually didn't have a car at the time, and they couldn't find anyone to take them, so they tried a private ambulance service, and they turned them down.
1: i have to think. Race
0: and... Yep. So, eventually, after getting to the hospital and all that, he had to be quarantined at home, but he eventually recovered, and he was up and running again. He actually didn't lose any of his motor skills, but it had caused some muscle damage and it left him with a stutter, especially whenever he got real excited or nervous. Okay. So that's the famous stutter you've heard. Oh
1: that's why I said okay that way, because I was like, that explains why he had a stutter. Okay.
0: Now remember this kid is still six years old, and he's always looking for something to do to make money. Such as helping the milkman, mm. not his father carry <laughs> bottles from the truck to front doors of customers on the block the milkman would give him a bottle of chocolate milk for his trouble that's cute he would also pick up bottles in alleyways and collect deposits on them so he was making a little cash he's hustling at six he, at six years old he would even walk down to the train yard and collect the spilled coal on the way and then he'd bring it back to the neighborhood and sell it for like 25 cents okay but his favorite job was delivering ice. He'd run ahead of the ice truck and collect the orders, like go up and knock on their doors and see what they wanted. And then he'd run back to the truck and he would tell them how much the customer wanted. So sometimes he'd give Bo a chunk of ice on hot days, but he'd also pay him a quarter. Okay. I'm just, I'm shocked at the motivation that a six-year-old has. And he didn't need a job. He had everything he needed. He needed to work as a sense of place in his world, as a sense of belonging and contributing and self-value.
1: I understand that.
0: So I'm really impressed with this kid at six years I old. I was going to say to be that self-aware at six. I know teenagers that have none of that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Sometimes Mammy would socialize with her cousins Ruby and Juanita. One time, Juanita took Mammy to her fiancé's house And that's where Mammy met the next-door neighbor, Pink Bradley. Pink Bradley. He had a really good job at the Chrysler Corporation. They were actually having a lot of overtime, so they were really known to have good money at that time. And he was a dark, sturdy 5'10", and really appeared to be a nice person and a strong man. He really got along with Emmett and would do anything that Mammy asked him to do with Emmett.
2: Oh, sweet. Okay, Pink.
0: But she didn't really notice, he never took initiative to do it on his own. So eventually, Emmett just kind of took himself out of the picture. Okay. She actually ended up marrying Pink May 5th, 1951, only about three or four months after they'd started seeing each other. It's new time. Alright, Mammy? Yeah, well, almost as soon as things were getting settled, Pink got laid off and started to show his true colors. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So, of course, he was coming in Saying, I'm hungry, and wondering why she didn't have food ready by the time he was home. And she's like, well, shouldn't you be out looking for a job? Preach, sister. He um, even insisted that if he told her to get up at three in the morning and make him some biscuits, that she better get the batter going. <laughs> the audacity. Right. <laughs> so, she ended up letting Pink come in and out of their lives until 1952, when he came over and grabbed a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label, which she kept for parties and stuff. Uh-huh. And he picked up the phone and started making plans with someone to go somewhere. So Mamie was like, Hold up, grabbed the phone out of his hand and found out that the other person on the phone was Margaret. Margaret? And she was like, Oh, well, I'm Pink's wife. Excuse me? Yeah. So Margaret said that she was Pink's wife? No. No, oh, Ma- no, no. Excuse me, I don't uh you know, hi Margaret, I'm Pink's wife. So you're talking Ooh. Yeah. So, here he is making plans with this lady. Well, he ends up going out anyway. Of course. And when he gets back, he found out that all the locks had been changed. Not only that, Mammy threw all of his clothes out of the second story window. (laughs) I don't blame her. I don't either. (laughs) So, this left Mammy and Emmett all on their own. Closer than ever looking out for each other and taking care of each other. A facts. A week after this, Pink actually stopped by, and he found out that Emmett was sick. He had, like, a bug or something, and he asked to see him. But before he even got to Emmett's room, he was already talking stupid about what he ought to do to Mammy. So Emmett overheard this, and he had actually gotten out of bed and decided to come see what was going on. But before he got over to them, he stopped by the kitchen and grabbed a butcher's knife. Oh, shit. It froze Mammy and Pink. They had no idea what to do. Bo very calmly, smoothly, and slowly said, Pink, Mama wants you to go, and I think you should go. And if you put your hands on her, I will cut you. Damn, Emmett, okay. Yeah. So Pink kind of measured him up and down for a minute. Emmett was only 11 at this time. I was going to ask how old
1: he was at this time.
0: Mammy finally was like, oh, God, I got to, you know, make Pink yeah. leave. And he, she ended up getting him to go. No problems happened or anything. But later on, she was like, you know, hey, somebody could get hurt. It could be worse. Someone could get killed. Like, don't, don't come up in between us in a fight. But it did cause them to form a new, stronger bond, almost like a partnership. They kind of had a trauma bond in a way. Yeah, kind of. He actually started taking on more responsibility around the house. Like he was cooking, taking care of the house, sweeping, mopping, washing the walls, painting. He even laid flooring. Like he could do carpet. Yeah, he could do carpet, linoleum. This kid was a lot.
1: Wow. He it was
0: very meticulous.
1: Think of like the potential he would have in today's world. Oh, tell you
0: know? me about like, it. Tell me about it. It's I know a shame. I know adults that don't have this kind of Same. Work ethic. Same. <laughs> Right. He was very meticulous. He always made sure his clothes looked good. He would, like, make sure his creasing and his pants looked good. Uh, They always looked professionally laundered. And he never shied away from hard work. Okay, Emmett. So, he's got the looks and the walk. One day, Mammy walked in and heard Emmett repeating a saleswoman he had heard on the TV or something. Radio, maybe. Only, he didn't have a stutter. She was like, well, okay. He can improve his speech by practicing, memorizing, and reciting stuff. So that's what she made him do.
1: (laughs) Smart.
0: Yeah, so she found out by hearing him doing that, that if he would just repeat the stuff and memorize it, he could say it clear. So she noticed after a lot of things that she had made him memorize, such as the preamble to the Constitution and Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, quite a bit of boring stuff, I would imagine, (laughs) for a kid his age. It was actually the control of his breathing that he had to recite things. That's what she kind of figured out. That makes sense. I mean, you can't make the kid just, like, memorize everything he's about to say. It's not going to work. But she found that pattern, and she was like, All right, so... If you find yourself stuck on a word, take in a breath, whistle, and then go ahead and speak. He tried it, and it seemed that when he whistled, it would steady his breathing and allow him to finish what he was saying. That's where his whistle came in from. Well, I'm a damn. He actually really loved to work things out with people. He was really good at using his analytical and persuasive abilities with people. He loved to negotiate and resolve things. He'd make
1: a good attorney. He
0: he would, and you need to keep these things in mind for later on, for sure. You know the basics of the story. Mm -hmm. No one could ever really recall him getting into a fight, and he actually had the ability to keep others out of fights. He had a lot of high self-esteem and pride, especially in his appearance, like I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. and he was very secure and confident in the way he carried himself. He actually really wanted to be a motorcycle cop, Because he enjoyed being the peacemaker. He also thought, you know, the uniform was really cool and he wanted to be that hero. I love it. So this this guy had big hopes, big dreams. Eventually, Mammy met a man named Gene Mobley. And they started dating. One day, he came over to dinner and he complimented her on a meal and said that he was going to marry her, just playing around. He turned to Emmett and was like, I want to marry her. But he shook his head no and smiled, and he said, no, we're not ready. And that was it. That's all Emmett said. He would bring it up again sometimes in a joking way, but at some point he told her, I'm going to marry you. And One evening, Emmett just cleared his throat and said, We're not ready yet.
2: We're
1: not ready yet.
0: (laughs) So Gene asked him why he disapproved of it, and he said, yeah, no problem telling him. Immediately, he was like, I'm concerned that you might shout at my mom or hit her, and then I'd have to take sides, and you know what side I'm going to take. I like you too much. I don't even want to consider that possibility. So obviously, that incident with Pink really left its mark on Emmett.
1: I love how he's just like, we're not ready, and, and we're not, not ready. Not yet. her. Yeah,
0: we. we. <laughs> Which is something that you really need to understand if you're dating someone with a kid, I respect whether it be that. a mom or a dad. It's something I that. you know that kid. That's that's their kid. Yeah, it yeah. should be like that.
1: I-, I completely agree.
0: Emmett never really had a girlfriend, according to his mom. Okay, but he did have a date when he was 11 years old. There's a whole story that's really cute to it, but I had to shrink it down to fit it into this. Basically, he told his mom he wanted to take this little girl in Argo to a show. He lived in Chicago at the time, so it's a little distance. Mm -hmm. He had this whole plan to hop on a A road chair or whatever. Okay. You know, pick her up and take her to the theater. The only thing he needed was money. So he promised to pay her back for the date out of his grocery money if she would give it to him. And she gave him $5, and he went on his way to the Southtown Theater near Hasted after three hours on the road and the movie he really had to get back to Chicago in time for his curfew so whenever he took her home he was just like bye and turned around and left (laughs) like that's the cutest thing ever but I mean he knew he had to get back because he had spent all that time on the road and seeing the movie so Mammy's uncle Moe's Wright. I know you've heard that name Mm mm-hmm He came up to Chicago for Money, Mississippi in August for the funeral of the father-in-law of his oldest daughter. So it was his daughter's father-in-law. Okay. So he just came up for the funeral. He would talk about how impressed he was by the great sights of the big city, but he said he really preferred the simple pleasures of wide-open spaces and fishing and long summer nights on the Mississippi Delta. Emmett, being a free-spirited boy that loved the outdoors, found out that his cousin Willer, you know, the buddy of his? Yes. He was going to go travel to Mississippi with Moe's for a visit for the summer. And another cousin, Curtis Jones, was planning to join them later and was really looking forward to their visit. So Emmett, at this point, was determined to go. Mammy and her mother were totally against it. But he refused to let it go and finally getting to her with why is it that you can take two of Papa Mo's girls and raise them for years, and you won't even let me go to Mississippi and stay one week? How do you feel about that, Mama? Oh. Cool. Uh, yeah, got you. That sucks. <laughs> Thing is, he doesn't realize what it's like right. in Mississippi. He had only been to Mississippi two times by this point. I didn't include it, but I do remember it. Both times he went, he was with either Alma or Mammy. And he was young, only two or three years old with uh, Alma. So, yeah, very young. He had no idea what it was like in Mississippi. Papa Mose reassured her and said that he would keep an eye on him and make sure that the boys would not be left on their own at all, ever. She finally decided to let him go, but she was, of course, worried about the differences he hadn't experienced in the South. She talked to him to make him understand that he wouldn't be in Chicago and he had to act differently and to be aware of it at all times. She told him not to start conversations with white people and to only talk if you're spoken to and to always respond with ma'am or sir. Step off the sidewalk if a white woman is walking towards you and lower your head. Don't look her in the eye and wait until she passes to get back on the sidewalk and don't look back. She told him to always humble himself if he had to. Get on his knees if he had to. But he was like, oh, mama, it can't be that bad. Oh, no. Her reply was, Bo, it's worse than that. Like, this, this poor kid had no idea. He doesn't
1: realize what he's getting into.
0: You couldn't even be seen looking at a picture of a white woman in the South if you were a black man. In the South, blacks were denied certain things by white people like freedom of movement, luxury of choice, and you couldn't even get a roll of toilet paper
1: a roll of toilet paper black
0: people could not have toilet paper in the south mammy had never actually told emmett about his father's death other than he had been killed overseas and that he was a soldier in world war 2 okay he was actually court-martialed on two counts of rape and a count of murder in italy holy shit he was found guilty and sentenced to hang oh yeah, that was something i had to pull out not from her book oh my <laughs> She explained to him that his cause of death was willful misconduct. And this was like right before he left to go to Mississippi, he asked about it. It's because Emmett had actually seen his father's ring a few times over the years and had even tried it on, but it was too big. So just a couple of days before he left for Mississippi, he pulled it out again and put it on his middle finger on his right hand and it seemed to fit. So he asked her if he could wear it to show it off to his friends. And that's whenever they started talking about his death. Okay. Saturday, August 20th, 1955. She rushed him to the train station, running late, bought Emmett's round-trip ticket with the train horn going off right above them and the conductor saying, all aboard. And he started up the steps, and she was like, Bo, you didn't kiss me goodbye. How do I know you'll ev- I'll ever see you again? Oh. And he stopped, and he turned around and said, Oh, Mama. And he came back down and gave her a kiss. And he took off his watch and he handed it to her. He said he wasn't going to be needing it. He was there, you know, to go have fun. Even though he was going to have to work down there, he was going to have fun. So he took it and he put it on her wrist. So how bad was it in the South at this time? You can't have toilet paper. You don't have running water. You got dilapidated houses. You can't look someone in the eye. You can't even be on the sidewalk Whatever they want. Yeah, you got to get out of the way. That's ridiculous. Well, let's talk about a case that happened just 11 years before Emmett traveled to Mississippi. Okay. Ecolo was a small working class mill town in South Carolina where white and black neighborhoods were separated by railroad tracks with very limited interaction between them. So railroad tracks
1: separated the blacks from the whites? Yes. Okay.
0: And we're in South Carolina. Still south, but a little higher up. There were two girls that were riding their bikes looking for flowers. They were 7 and 11 years old, sisters. And they passed the Stinney property asking George Stinney and his sister Amy, as they were returning home from grazing their cows, if they knew where to find Maypops. You know what Maypops are? No, I don't know what a Maypops is. It's passion flowers. Oh, okay. And this was the last time they were ever seen, these two girls. So... George stayed with his sister, according to her, and there's no way that he could have had anything to do with these girls. He was one of five kids living in a three-bedroom house provided by his father's sawmill company. He worked at a sawmill company, and the company provided housing. Okay. And his mother was actually a cook at an all-black school. So he grew up very humble. When those girls didn't come home that night... The police were called, and a search party was set out to find them, including George's father, the George Stenney, the black kid, mm-hmm. with his sister. Their father went out with that search party that night. Trying to help, he told the police that he had actually seen the girls earlier that day near the railroad.
1: So he was the last person to technically see them alive. Yes. So on March twenty
0: third, 1944, the bodies of these two young girls were found. They had gone missing the day before. They had both suffered severe blunt force trauma to their skulls, and it seemed to be a blunt metal object or something like a railroad spike. Holy shit! Of course, it's a small town. Well, I don't know how small, really, but it towns pretty tall. small. It, yeah. people talk, so two rumors got started in the town about the incident. One was about George Stenney, saying that he followed the girls after seeing them and asking about the Mayflower mm-hmm. or Maypops. pops <laughs> Mayflower. <laughs> <laughs> After he followed him, he ended up, you know, killing him or whatever they want to say there. Just this is a little 14 year old black kid. Another theory was that the girl stopped by the house of a prominent white man in the area to ask his wife if she would like to go with him on their travels. But she said that she wasn't able to go, and her son offered to take them on his lumber mill truck, and that's the last time they were ever seen or heard from again.
1: So that was probably the
0: truth. Yeah. Well, since the black boy was the last to see these girls, they questioned him in a small room, alone, without his parents, no attorney, at just 14 years old. So they... They, they didn't want to find a white guy guilty of this. uh uh-uh. No. These were all white cops. They, they wanted to see a black man go down. So the police claimed that George confessed to the killing of the two girls and also admitted that he wanted to have sex with the 11-year-old but that's probably because if he did
1: somewhat confess and I'm using air quotations here when I say confess it's because he was tortured into confessing
0: that's exactly it they spent hours and hours just yelling at him telling him to admit to it saying you wanted to rape her and it went wrong so you killed her like it was relentless It's like the West Memphis three yes which we will be covering that as well Again, like you said, it sounds like a forced confession, if he even confessed at all.
1: Yeah, that's why I said air quotations are These
0: These are cops that are throwing their weight around doing what they want. So, the claims that he confessed was never actually supported by any written or signed statement. And his father was later fired from his job and the whole family was forced to leave due to death threats. Holy shit. On March 26, 1944, a mob attempted to lynch George, the kid, the 14 year old. Oh my god. But he had actually been moved out to an out of town jail due to previous death threats. His family wasn't even allowed to know where he was, so he spent the last couple months of his life just alone with that's no terrible. one in his family even knowing where he was.
2: That's, that's terrible.
0: The state really rushed him through a trial, and he was represented by a tax attorney. What? A tax attorney that had never argued a criminal case. And the dude never even called a single witness to the stand. Are you ready for this? No. (laughs) The the trial only lasted less than three hours. Three hours? Less than three hours for the fate of a 14-year-old kid. Oh my god. And the deliberations of the all-white jury. Uh, I'm sure they're all men, too. Yeah. It only took ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah, there were actually no black people allowed in the courthouse, not even his family. <sighs> so, obviously, this is not a jury of his peers. At the time, it was pretty divided in that town, 50-50. There wasn't a single black man even in that courthouse, other than that poor kid.
1: Heartbreaking for him.
0: On June 16th, 1944, he was executed.
1: Oh my god.
0: He became the youngest person in modern history to be put to death, and he was so small that he didn't fit in the electric chair.
1: Oh my God,
0: this kid was only five foot one and only ninety-five pounds
1: tiny.
0: He had a Bible that he had with him whenever the minister read him his last rites. He took it with him to the electric chair.
1: I'm going to cry. This is heartbreaking. (laughs) He had
0: it clutched to him for some kind of comfort, but they actually snatched it from him. Oh my god. And they put it in the chair and used it as a booster so he would fit in the electric chair. Are you fucking kidding me? I am dead serious. The mask that they used to cover his face oh was too big; it was so ill-fitting that it kept slipping, and it revealed his face wall he was terrified, <sighs> tear-stained, and twisted from the electricity. This poor young boy being put to death, this really perfectly shows how the Southern justice system would railroad black people for anything and everything, no matter how mu- how young they may be. This all happened. In under three months. Wow.
1: I don't know what to say.
0: Well, this is... Uh, This is another... I don't even know how to say this. It makes me so mad to find this shit out later, but I'm glad it is found out. His conviction was reexamined 70 years later in 2014. His siblings always thought he was innocent. In fact, his cellmate in prison... Also thought he was innocent because he said he never confessed to it, not even to him. Because he was innocent. He was innocent. A white male from a prominent male family from the area at the time had actually confessed in a deathbed confession to the murders before he died in 2013.
1: What a fucking asshole. This
0: guy was even part of the fucking jury for the trial of George. Are you serious? I am so serious. So you watched
1: a kid die knowing that you were the one who did this, and you watched him take the fall for you. You took the
0: vote on his death. Oh, my
1: God. That's narcissistic.
0: Finally, after all this, since he didn't receive a fair trial and his Sixth Amendment right was absolutely violated, he was actually exonerated 70 years later. But even his sister saying, you know, nothing can... Undo what's been done. That's what I was just about to say. Like he's gone.
1: I I was just about to say that's not going to bring him back. No,
0: you just killed a fourteen-year-old kid for nothing, just because you're being a racial prick. So that kind of gives you an understanding of how quick they are to point the finger at any black person in the South, and this happened in the North as well, but it wasn't as common. But that's where we're going to be leaving off today. And whenever we pick back up on the next episode, we will be talking about Emmett Till arriving in Mississippi and how that went down. It's one hell of a way
1: to end it. Thanks. You know, be yeah, crying bro. and being emotional because I was not ready for that.
0: But Well, unfortunately, this is Black History Month. It's not going to be pleasant.
1: I-, I expected that, but I'm just saying... <laughs>
0: Unfortunately,
1: I, love, I mean, at least you know, I can say the people listening, I'm right there with you because I have to wait for us to record again, so I'm stuck on this cliffhanger too yes. about you know what's yes. really going to end up happening. Yeah, cause you
0: have absolutely no idea what my notes are next week. Yeah, no, clue. I haven't even gotten them yet. <laughs> <laughs> but this is definitely something that needs to be touched on. I've heard people in the past say, Well, black people have a history month. Why can't white people have a history month? Because we're
1: assholes, that's why. No,
0: you don't want to have to need a History Month. Exactly. Look at what they had to go through for a History Month.
1: It's sad. And the other reason why, you know, they're, and I'm all for a Black History Month. Let me say that before I say what I'm about to say. But to me, it's kind of like because of all the shitty things that we did as white individual humans, you know, to our fellow peers. That are, you know, a different skin color than we are. Now we're realizing that we fucked up. So now we're taking, finally, an entire month to show our thanks back to that.
0: The shortest month of the year.
1: But, uh, okay, of course.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, these are not going to be necessarily happy this month. But it's stuff that needs to be said. It definitely does. It's things that you may not have realized about black history. I didn't know any of the stuff that you talked about today. Yeah. I didn't know none of it. A lot of my sources actually came from Mamie Till Mobley herself and a that book I was reading, mm-hmm. Death of Innocence. So, it's as accurate as I can get it. And I hope that you all have learned something as well.
1: For, for sure, yeah. Because, I mean, I know I definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm waiting for next time, but I've got to. hopefully next time I'll be emotionally prepared for <laughs> the story. It's, it's
0: going to be a rough tear-jerker, too. Oh,
1: yeah. So, until next time, I'll have me a box of
0: tissues and I'll be ready. <laughs> I'll get you some Xanax or something. <laughs> 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 All right. I guess that's it. That's it. Until then, let us know how you like it so far. Let us know what you've learned. I know I've gotten a little bit of feedback from people I know in person, and it makes me feel great to know that I'm spreading information that not everyone knows.
1: Comment. Because you can comment on the Anchor app or is it Spotify? Spotify. Okay. So if you're following us on Spotify, you can interact with us with a question and answer segment. Or you can also email us or, you know, what's your thoughts or, you know, again, I'm going to harp on really quick about listener tales and or subjects or suggestions, anything. But...
0: Really quick, Shelby,
1: I'm gonna utilize
0: you. What's our email? Pod at gmail dot com. <laughs> and that is macabre, M-A-C-A-B-R-E. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> but yes, um, let us know what you think because Shelby's working really hard on this and I'm really proud. It's near
0: and, and dear to me.
1: I I'm I'm loving every minute of this.
0: Until then, just be nice to people. You could have been born anyone else. Yes. Keep that in mind. So be nice. And until then, I'll see ya. Bye, guys! All research is done by Shelby Hudgens, Courtney Pilon, and Tina Collins. A special thanks to Tina Collins for managing us, and we are a lot to manage. All social media is linked in the description below. Be sure to follow us, and don't forget to leave a rating on wherever you get your podcast. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like to hear on our podcast, please email it to allthingsmacab.pod at gmail.com. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Did this episode make you say, What the fuck?